Good morning to you all. Ooh, I'm nice and loud. That's good. Now you're awake. I know as uh, that lawnmower came down the aisle, all the car guys were going, oh, petrol, and all the rest of us were going, ah, that was gross, but hopefully the air is cleared out now for you. Uh, I talked to a guy last week who bought a convertible, he told me, years ago, and his wife complained that everyone was staring at her. And I said, so what did you do? He said, I patted the car, and I said, they're not staring at you, honey. Think about it for a few moments, you'll get it. <laughs> Have you ever had it where life seemed to be going your way? Like God was smiling on you, and then all of a sudden, bam! Everything came to an end. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into the book of Acts today, we're going to see where everything was going really well for the church. And then all of a sudden, bam, persecution came, imprisonment came, and God, this was a tough time for the church. But they persevered. You delivered. And I know as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to even see this pattern repeat itself over and over, even to some being killed and some being miraculously released like we're going to read this morning. And in our minds, it doesn't always make sense, but I know, God, you love this world and you sent your one and only Son and you want every tribe and nation, every person to receive forgiveness of their sins through Jesus. You want to be in relationship with us. So as we open up the book of Acts, open up our minds, help us to be there. Help us to, to experience, literally like the fumes in this room, what was going on in the early church's experiences. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be unaware about this, but today, 11 Christians were killed for their faith. And you're going, well, I never read that in the news. Statistically, last year, 4,000 plus, 11 people a day, were killed for their faith. In the last 100 years of Christianity, more people have been killed for their faith than in the previous 1,900 years. We have it so good in Canada. You might think the persecution you receive at work when people find out you're a Christian is tough. And there's a saying that goes around, that's a first world problem, isn't it? Friends, a lot of the groundwork for us to have a church building was laid down in blood. And a lot of us don't seem to get our heads around that. Did you know, little side statistic, for the first about five, six, seven hundred years, North Africa was the center of Christianity. Almost everybody was Christian. And along came the marches of the Muslims. And they took over space by space, country by country, all of the area that was once Christian, and in many of the countries, they gave you a choice as a Christian. Either serve Allah and renounce Jesus, or if you want to keep following Jesus, you had a choice. 
And they usually ask you this with a sword up against your neck, and they'd say, you will die. Did you know 90% of Christians renounced Jesus so that they could live? In fact, it became a problem because as Christianity took control of some of the areas again or some of the national areas, uh, they had this problem where they had pastors who had renounced their faith. They were still alive, and they wanted to pastor again. We have no idea what hardship, what difficulty is like. I read an article this week from the Gospel Coalition that Iran, the country of Iran, modern day Iran, in 1979 only had 500 Christians from Muslim backgrounds. That was it. And then came Ayatollah Khomeini, all the promises of how the country was going to be great again. Sorry to borrow that, Trump. And it didn't go that way. Women ended up becoming persecuted. Uh, the country's economy went into the tank. Uh, trust and mistrust just completely flipped around. And the country was in such a disarray, it began to open the hearts. Currently in Iran, they estimate up to one million, maybe up to two million, have come to Christ since 1979. Let me ask you, do you think that was done easily? Do you think they prayed to receive Christ and it was a bed of roses? I can tell you it was like the book of Acts. It was hard ground that was won and lost in blood. Let's turn to the book of Acts. Let's see how it went back then to the church. Uh, Acts chapter 12, we begin to read about miracles that followed with a lot of new believers. Acts chapter uh, 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by people. Now, that's a little clue to the persecution, the atmosphere that was in the country. Nevertheless, verse 14 says, more and more women and men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Doug Balzer, who works in our district office, just finished his PhD study, and he studied the early church for the first 300 years or so of Christianity, and he dug into all the annals that he could find of anything that referred to Christians. And here's what he discovered. And this was judges, non-Christians, not people necessarily in favor of the faith or even knew much about it. But here's what he discovered of the early Christians. They were known for two things. They were known for being loving, and they were known for healing and delivering people from demonic spirits. This is what the early church was known for. Let me ask you, what are we known for? I know how the movies mock us. Even healings they try to mock us with. But friends, we need to be known for being people of the book, 
Let me just ask you a question. Do you often confuse knowledge with God, doctrine, theology, all that good stuff, Bible verses for a relationship with God? Did you know or are you aware until the 1600s when the printing press was prepared, the average Christian, 99% of Christians, had no Bible in their homes? And you're going, well, are you trying to say Bibles aren't, aren't important? No, I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have flipped it in North America. We, we are so much about knowing about I mean, there's so many people that go through school, they learn how to become a dentist and they never get into a person's mouth. Well, the dentist will all come to you. No, I didn't. They taught us right in the beginning. You get my point, though. We as Christians need to get on our knees. We need to seek the face of God. We need to have stick to itness. We need Him to deliver us, Him to lead us, Him to direct us. And I will tell you, like Iran, our country won't know what hits it. Knowledge hasn't got us very far. But relationship with Jesus, healing people, casting out demons, sticking to it when the things get really tough, experiencing the peace of God. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about the peace of God. No matter what the circumstances are, that's what will make a difference. When I was pastoring in Tumblr Ridge, I was involved in Freedom in Christ Ministries. And if you didn't know, uh, one of the things they do is they help people get rid of demonic problems. Me and my church began to get known after about 30 or 40 people that we had helped through being set free. We began to be known as the ones who could help you deal with your demonic problems. It, it got so bad for me that I would get calls at two in the morning. And the question I would usually say is, well, when did this start happening? Well, that started happening when I was five or 10 years ago. And I'd say, well, how about you get a good sleep and I'll get a good sleep and we'll talk tomorrow. Because I was getting worn out. Because like the book of Acts, we had a reputation that was starting to grow. People weren't necessarily wanting to come, but we had a reputation for healings and for demons being cast out. We had a reputation for being loving. Now you know my story. Life was going along really good in Tumblr Ridge. About a year and a half in, I was in a plane crash, and that was after I prayed over the town. And what made that worse is I'd planned a crusade, had a guy coming in from Fort St. John, and I laid in the hospital, and I remember asking God, what am I going to do? This is horrible. And God said, I will build my church. So guess what? Without Anthony there, over 30 adults prayed to receive Christ on that weekend. And a number of children. And you're going, well, you didn't count the children. They're more important. And I agree, but no, they didn't count the children. I wasn't there. Don't blame me. So for the next six months as I was recovering from my plane crash, as the church was starting to get a reputation, that was good. As God began to grow things from the roots up, from within the church, something bizarre began to happen to me. I had a couple in the church, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, they decided it was time for me to go. They had lots of reasons. They had a list of reasons, in fact, and I will tell you that I give people reasons why I shouldn't be a pastor. I know that. If you need a list, I'll give it to you. But they started pulling secret meetings together, and they would pull four or five people, they would give them the list of all my shortcomings, and wouldn't, they would say, don't you think it's time that we ask Pastor Anthony to move on? 
Well, one of the things that began to happen is I had lots of friends there, and they began to come to me and tell me about these secret meetings. And the individual, the guy in the marriage relationship, he started calling me about once a month asking for meetings of correction for me, then once a week, then a couple times a week. The pressure I experienced, I mean, I wasn't sweating drops of blood, but I had an elephant on my chest, and I would get on my knees to God, and i say, God, please release me. I can't handle this. And you know what God would say to me? Hang in there. Don't give up. For at the proper time, you will reach a harvest if you don't give up. You want to know what happened in the next three years is well over 130 people prayed to receive Christ. Maybe upwards of 200 when you throw in some of the kids. I am so glad that God's kingdom, the gates of hell, were pushed back because I was obedient to God. Did I go through suffering? Oh man, I've got scars to show it. Did my emotions get hurt? Oh, I've got scars to show it on the inside. But I am grateful to God that people were meeting Jesus they were getting transformed. They were getting changed. So the text in Acts, it goes on. It doesn't stop. And from these blessings, they start to see some persecution. And let me ask you a question before I read what I'm about to read. Is persecution God's plan? Is persecution God's plan? Or is it maybe Satan's plan? Let's read the text. Verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees. My mother-in-law gave me a way to remember the theology of the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so my mother-in-law would see, say, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, so now you'll never forget that. These Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. And I can tell you it wasn't a religious nice jail. It was a public jail where your family members had to bring you food. Even the latrine stuff, they had to carry it out for you. It was gross. But during the night in this public jail, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and he brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Now, do you remember there's been a couple of times in the book of Acts they were already told not to do that? Verse 21, at daybreak they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent them to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, and this is hilarious, the officers didn't find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests, they were at loss, wondering what this might lead to. I mean, I actually would be thinking, oh my goodness, am I going to be killed for negligence and neglect or something? But they're wondering, what will this lead to? Then someone came and said, look, the men that you put in jail are standing in the temple courts and they're teaching people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force. Here it comes because they feared that the people would stone them. 
These people were known for their love and for healing and casting out demons. Verse 27, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty for this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Do you remember that? It's come up now a third time. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death, them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. Let me point out as we read on, God will bring deliverance to you in the most weirdest of places and the weirdest of people. God is in control. Even your death, even your death will be significant for the kingdom. Let's read on, verse 35. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to somebody, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. Now, Judas was a common name. Don't confuse it for the other Judas. He, too, was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Here it comes. Here's his argument. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Seem logical to you? Well, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in. They didn't get off scot-free. And he had them flogged. And by the way, flogging wasn't pleasant. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Here's what the apostles did, though. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen? That's incredible stuff. So let me ask you, where does our help come from? Where does our help come from? Ultimately, friends, it comes from God. And God will use amazing circumstances and people and things to take your sorrow, to take your persecution, to take your hardship, even your death, and turn it to his glory. Understand, nothing you go through is wasted, not a thing. Whether persecution or even discipline, all hardships will be redeemed. Look for it. 
anticipate it. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That verse I had on my wall in Tumblr Ridge, and it's Galatians 6, 9. And as I was in Tumblr Ridge, and as we began to pray for renewal, and, and the plane crash came, and sharp opposition came, I asked God, can I, can I go? And God said, no. And in that church's 10-year history, I was the third pastor. And I lasted longer than everybody. For whatever reason, and I believe in Tumblr Ridge because it was such a new town, it, the, there was no foundation yet, no spiritual authority, no, no walking people of God. And the churches were all new and struggling and Satan just had a heyday there. And some have even talked about the, the city of, or the town of, of Tumblr Ridge was built upon some burial grounds and weird things like that. But in the end of the four years, God's kingdom grew. Now here's the really kind of heartbreaking thing for me. I literally spilled a friend's blood who died in the plane crash in my own blood. And when I decided to leave, when God said, you can go, I was exhausted. Now, the 60, 80 people that were left in my church in that last year, I think only six or seven were Christians longer than two or three years. That was incredible, but that was tiring. And so I left. And the church, there was another church in town, a Baptist church. They had about 30 people. We had about 50 to 70 people. And my church people, they were looking for a pastor. They couldn't find one. So they began to look to the Baptist church and say, hey, why don't we just amalgamate? The town's declining. And in the amalgamation, the talks were going really slow. So the Alliance Church people had a meeting and they said, let's just walk over to the Baptist Church. So all of them walked over one day. Here's the exciting news. That evangelism that God birthed in the Alliance Church, it began to stir. And the Baptist Church started to see souls saved. The Baptist Church, uh, all these new Christians, I had to teach to teach Sunday school. I had to teach them how to lead worship, and that's a scary thought. These people began to get in the Baptist Church and get involved. So what happened? Did Anthony's kingdom grow? There's not, well, there's a building that I helped put together the Baptist Church eventually used, but there's nothing left of Anthony. But God's kingdom, the gates of hell are being pushed back. Yeah, persecution was hard for me. But his kingdom is growing and expanding. I've got scars. I've got soul scars from some of the stuff I went through. And I know many of you are sitting here with questions, with scars, with hurts, with pains. Has God called you to a dream for his kingdom? Maybe it's a business that you're working at to be able to finance missionaries and things just aren't going really well. And maybe God's called you to build up your finances to go build water wells in some country. Let me just say to you, don't lose heart. Even if your business was have to be shut down. I have a guy recently in the church who's going through some financial stuff in his business and he said to me, in the last three or four years, the involvement I've had in the church far outweighs anything I imagined I could do with business, and I'm okay. Oh, he's stressed. He's got the elephant on the chest and all that kind of stuff. But he is seeing God in the midst of his persecution and trouble. 
I know that a few of you might be experiencing hard times in your companies. You maybe have lots of work or you're just not being paid. But in the annals of time, your story, if it were told, my prayer is it would be one of perseverance and listening to God in relationship. So let me conclude with just a couple of statements. Have you had a victory in Jesus' moment only to be robbed? Have you had a victory in Jesus' moment only to be robbed? Let me ask you to ask God to speak to you about that. I remember when I went to work for Freedom in Christ Ministries, I was expecting to be there 10 years, and it only lasted about a year. And I was upset. I was mad at God. I said, God, did I get that wrong? And it was actually years of praying and saying, God, did I get that wrong? God, did I get that wrong? And one day God said this to me. He said, what if I only wanted you there for one year? It wasn't that that was the truth of the fact, but the question was, what if? And I was like, obviously, I go, well, yeah, God, if that's all you wanted, that's fine. And I heard nothing more from God. God will speak to you. He will minister to you. He will heal your hurts and your pains. Because many of us have soul wounds that are, that are so deep and so strong that all the logic in the world isn't going to talk you out of that. But our God is a loving God who performs miracles. And we're people of the book. And we should be known for healing, casting out demons, and love. That's what we should be known for. In the depth of persecution or discipline, ask God to speak. This week, and I always try to give you a little bit of homework every week now, this week, take time to evaluate your God plan. Ask him. Ask him if your current situation is his will. You might get a little shocked and surprised what comes about. So this week, I, had a, I have a routine I go through Tuesday. I start looking at my sermon. Wednesday, I, I put all the structure to it and the, the outline and stuff. Thursday, I go over it a little bit if I have time. Friday afternoons, I, I really spend time kind of going, okay, what have I got? What do I work over? So this Thursday, last Thursday, night, I had an elders meeting, and I had lots of stuff to get ready for it, and it was difficult, and my day ended up being really long, and I was overtired, so I didn't do much on Thursday like I normally would. I had the outline and everything done. Friday comes, and Friday morning, my morning just got eaten up with staff stuff. I thought, okay, I'm going to go home. I get home on Friday. I have my lunch. I go to get my laptop out. My phone rings, and there's a fellow Lance Temple in the church. He's got cancer, and he's dying. And he said, Pastor, can you come over? And so I dropped everything, and I went to see Lance. By Friday night, I was a little bit tired and exhausted. I didn't go up my sermon. And I remember Saturday, it was my anniversary, and I didn't dare go to work and do that. So my wife and I did some stuff together. Uh, we went out for dinner, and we went for a drive in a car. We did lots of nice romantic stuff together. We put some flooring in our house, nice romantic stuff together. As we were bickering at each other, my wife goes, you know, most couples can't even do this together, so we're pretty good. I said, you're right, you're probably right. So Saturday night, I was exhausted. I usually spend time again going over sermon stuff, correcting anything I need, and I looked at it, and I just went, oh. I got up extra early this morning, and I sat with my sermon on my chair at home, and all of a sudden, God began to speak. And after, I was just typing so fast, even on the front pew, before the service started, I was still typing stuff. And then I'm sitting there in the front pew, and I said to God, I said, why did you wait so long to talk to me? What do you think you answered? I didn't wait. 
So I don't know where you're at this morning. You've been confusing your knowledge of God and theology and doctrine, which good stuff. We need that in the church. But you're confusing that for a relationship with him. You might have some soul wounds. You might have gone through persecution. You might have had somebody you really loved die. You might have had a difficult death in your life. You yourself might be given some news you don't want to hear. Well, let me ask you, where's God in your life? He wants to speak to you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to bless you. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, many of us this week need to spend some good quality time with you. We need to be asking you questions. And, oh God, my, my, my head, my heart, my my, my busyness, my, my care for my friend, Lance. Uh, God, it just left my mind in a state that I couldn't hear your voice. And, and God, so many of us have that elephant on our chest. We're stressed. We have persecution. We have things coming against us. We, we're having a tough time paying our bills. We, we can't seem to keep up with some of the work we have. Maybe for some of us, we're not sleeping at night or, or we have a loved one or a child that's gone astray and, and we're just so overwhelmed with life and, and we will cry out, where, God, where are you? And in your still, small voice, I'm sure, like I heard this morning, you will say, I am right here. Oh God, forgive me for being so wound up in self that I don't hear your voice. Forgive us, God, for letting persecution and hardship and things derail us from our God plan. For you, God, love to take us from a public prison and deliver us. You, God, love to take even a death and turn it into glory, as I saw in my plane crash where my friend had over 30 people pray to receive Christ because he died. And I just want to pray, God, that we can get it into our minds that you want to push back the gates of hell. You want to stop evil. You want to stop those who are persecuting us. You want to transform Iranian hearts, lives. And we look in a country like that and we go, how could something good come out of a, a country that had so much evil going on? And God, you know how it works. You are at the business of rec rescuing and reconciling. And this morning, you want to reconcile some to yourself right now. If there's somebody here, Heavenly Father, that has not believed in Jesus, we're going to sing this song. And may this song that we sing, may it be a prayer of, I believe in God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. May this be a believing moment for some. And for those of us that need to be encouraged to say, hang in there. May this song be a hang in there for each and every one of us. God, we love you. And we love what you're doing in our world and in our church and what you're doing in me. What you're doing in our congregation. God, would you keep it up? And I know you want to do it. You just need us to lift our hands, palms up, and say, I am yours. And so God, if there's somebody here this morning that needs that touch, may they sing this song from the bottom of their heart. And maybe for some they need to come to the altar just to say with somebody praying with them, I need a breakthrough, I need to hear his voice. God, we want to be known as that church. That church that delivers, that church that heals, that church that has the power of God transforming us from our soul wounds and our pains. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.